Not much. I just ate waffles and I think I had too much sugar. So now I'm like sweating, like the sugar sweats. Oh, and I, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't either, but I feel like my blood sugar is all weird because I just had, I just ate waffles with syrup on them. And now I'm like pouring sweat and I feel weird, but it's fine. I mean, I feel like that doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> I just ate a lot of waffles and now I'm just sweating. I got the waffle waffle sweats. (laughs) I mean, I've heard of the meat sweats, but the waffle sweats, that's new. It's new. Great. I have to tell my foot story again. (laughs) Yeah, tell me about your feet again on this episode. (laughs) Uh, Hi, guys. So uh, we just... uh, recorded but not recorded a good like 20 minutes 25 minutes uh stop telling people we're doing this because they're gonna think we're stupid hi we are stupid it's fine we're hey to be fair we are still new to this like technology thing and so yeah and so we were doing real good up until we had to start doing that so i mean it's fine everything's fine i'm fine uh anyway this is episode 65. Christina can't walk still. My foot hurts. Amanda had to babysit monsters. Not yes, babysit. Be- well, basically. Kind of. Basically it because it was, it was supposed to be distance learning still, but none of the kids got homework, so I didn't have anything planned, so they had way too much downtime on top of it being a full moon. But yeah, so... So, to sum it up, my life sucks and I'm still on bed rest, and Amanda... I'm I'm so happy it's Saturday. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh uh yeah, I think that's pretty much all we talked about. And then Christina got a good ten minutes into her story, and then I looked up and realized there was no recording sign. So that was a nice wrap up. Oh, I'm Amanda. That's Christina. What's up? Also, if you hear barking in the background, my dogs are going crazy and I cannot get up to yell at them because I can't walk. So get over my it. My neighbors are also weed whacking. So, you know, it's going to be a noisy episode. It's the world, it's the world we fucking live in. All right. This uh, is 2020. This is 2020 wrapped up in one beginning of an episode. It's also episode uh, 65. I feel like I said that, but I mean, that? it's yeah, fine. <laughs> it's fine. Now we all know for sure. Like, just in case you missed it in the rambling. All right. Um, also, this is I'm sorry with the podcast. I don't think I said that. <laughs> best, best put together intro we've ever done. Thank you. I shall bow for this. Let me curtsy. Curtsy. <laughs> uh, I apologize for that ramble. I was just like, shit. <laughs> we you can't know. even pretend we didn't talk about all this stuff. It's not going to sound. We've right. talked it well, no, because we tried to record it, and then the, our, something was going on with our sound, so we had already done the full intro, and the sound was weird. And then we got it all set back up again, and then we did twenty minutes of it, and then we realized we weren't recording. So we had told each other the intro stories like two to three times already. So we were mm-hmm. like, I can't again. I can't. I just can't. we need we need to just wrap this up, sum it up, let everybody know this is what's happening. Okay, ready? I'm going to tell you guys. Tell me the story that I had already started to tell you. Right, that I've never heard before. You've only gotten like six paragraphs in. Yeah, see, we're good. So I'm going to talk about the Springfield 3, which is an unsolved missing persons case uh, that started around June 7th, 1992. 
when Susan or Susie Streeter, Stacy McCall, and Streeter's mother Cheryl Levitt went missing uh, from Cheryl's home in Springfield, Missouri. Okay. So, um, Stacy graduated on June 6, 1992, and then um, with her friend Susie Streeter, who was 19, uh, went to all the graduation parties that you know normal. It's the graduation shirt 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 it that you go on and if you're in small town minnesota or springfield missouri which i'm assuming is small town you're probably partying in a cornfield mm-hmm. um the girls were lasting around 2 a.m on june 7th when they were leaving the last of the graduation parties that they had been going to they had actually planned to spend the night at their friend janelle kirby's house but uh they decided that kirby's house was too crowded so they left to go to Susie streeter's house okay um they are believed to have been have arrived at their house and been there for a bit of a time because all of their clothing jewelry purses and vehicles were found at the house so uh cheryl levitt was last heard from at approximately eleven fifteen p.m on june 6 when she had spoken with a friend on a telephone on the telephone um the timeline is a little convoluted because kirby and her boyfriend were actually the last people to see Stacy and Susie, but they were also the first people at the house the next morning. Um, so they, Stacy and Susie, were supposed to go with Kirby and her boyfriend to a water park, and they didn't show up because they were supposed to meet at Kirby's house. Oh, okay. So around nine a.m., um, they went to the Cheryl Lovett's house or Susie's house, and they found that the front door was unlocked, and they went into the house. So for anyone listening to this that's not has never lived in a small town that's not weird. Right. It's like, I'm sure people that like city folk, as we say, (laughs) um, are like, they just walked in. You just walked in and the door was unlocked. You didn't think it was weird. No, because the door's never locked if you live in a small town. Uh And I can't remember the last time I knocked on any of my friend's doors. Um, Unless you have to, to like be let in. Yeah. Or unless like there's a baby sleeping or like something that I know is going to cause noise. So I have to wait for them to let me in. Um, but yeah, normally you just like kick the door open like the Kool-Aid man and be like, I'm here, bitches. <laughs> knock, knock, motherfucker. Knock, knock, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, but we're serious. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it's weird that they went in and were like, Hey, is anybody home? Where you at? No, Maybe? no one. No one. Okay. Um, there was, they, they didn't really notice anything weird other than the fact that their dog was left um in the house by itself and that there was broken glass on the front porch from the light on the porch okay um kirby and her boyfriend actually ended up sweeping up the glass which the police believe was probably potential evidence so kind of sucks but i don't think they were thinking of it as a crime scene at that point yeah they were probably more looking at it like oh you know something hit this and it fell down and broke and might as well just pick this up for them since they're not home right right now yeah. So the other, the only other weird thing that happened is that Kirby answered the phone, which is also not weird. Small town America is weird, man. <laughs> right. Which is also, it's not uncommon. I mean, if right. I was at Christina's house and the phone rang and it was an actual like caller ID number, that would be not just a 1-800 number. I totally you answer. have answered it before. Yeah. I totally answered. Be like, Nielsen's. Nielsen. <laughs> Nielsen residence. Amanda speaking. Um, 
So she answered the call and she said that it was very strange and disturbing. There was a guy, a man on the phone who made various sexual innuendos. Um, she hung up immediately and then they called right back and she answered it again and it was the same thing and she hung up again. That's weird. Right. So several hours later, uh, Janice, Stacy McCall's mother, went to the house after they had been trying to reach her daughter all day and couldn't. Um, she noticed all three women's purses were sitting on the floor of the living room and also her daughter's clothing was neatly folded from the night before. Okay. Um, Levitt and so Cheryl and Susie's cigarettes were also left in the house. Uh, Janice called the police from the home's telephone to report the three women missing after placing the call, um, while checking the phone's answering machine, she listens to another strange and sexual message. Uh, but inadvertently released or erased it. So she Why didn't did... know how to work the answering oh, machine. She hit the she wrong just... button and deleted it. Oh my gosh, that's so frustrating. Yes. So the police believed that the call may have contained clues or may have been from the individual that helped them disappear or made them disappear. Okay. Um. But then they also said that they didn't think it was connected to the prank calls that Kirby received, which is weird to me. They think it's just two separate pervs calling and... Right. That's why I was like, I don't know if that's right, but okay. I feel Uh, like that's wrong. So that was more than 16 hours after the women were last seen. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Other worried friends and family called and visited the home also the following day. Police leader estimated that the crime scene had been corrupted by at least 10 to 20 people who had visited the house. (sighs) Okay. So when the officers um, arrived at the house, the scene showed no signs of struggle except for the shattered porch light. All of the women's personal belongings, including keys, makeup, purses, clothing, I already said this, were still inside. The family dog was very anxious uh but they noted the blinds inside the home were apart as if someone had been peeking through looking outside during the night so like someone had pulled the blinds apart to look through and they were stuck that way that's weird i wonder if they heard the glass shatter and they looked out the blinds right or something but i don't know that's that's yeah. creepy i don't i find that really creepy i don't know why Um, They also believe that Cheryl had been in bed watching television because her glasses and the book on the nightstand and cigarettes along with her lighter were all on her nightstand. Um, So the glass was discarded before it was determined if it could have been any kind of if there's any evidence or anything like that. So they had no evidence from the broken porch light and there was nothing in the home that indicated foul play. Okay. Uh, Several searches of the surrounding area turned up nothing, um, and it seemed like they had just simply vanished. They had no, basically no leads to go on. Um, So following their disappearances, the police followed up on leads, interviewed individuals who had attended the party the previous evening, as well as relatives, friends, and even boyfriends. Uh, One witness reported seeing a green Dodge van in the area, but police weren't able to identify a vehicle or the owner. Because a green Dodge van, how many green Dodge vans are in just Missouri alone, you know? Right. Uh, 
So Janice, Stacy's mother, in the immediate aftermath of the disappearances, made missing persons posters, went on radio stations, talked to the media, put up billboards, and helped raise over $100,000 for a reward fund. Um, and her husband, Stu, canvassed the city looking for Stacy, and uh, they got the case featured on America's Most Wanted. Okay. So on December 31st, 1992... A man called the America's Most Wanted hotline with information about the women's disappearances, but the call was disconnected when the switchboard operator attempted to link up with the Springfield investigators. Uh, police said the caller had indicated prime knowledge of the abductions and publicly appealed for the man to contact them, but he never did. That's. Can you imagine taking that call? There's so many things that have gone wrong that are just so unfortunate. Like, it's a series of unfortunate events. It really is, and it's, like... Causing this case to be unsolved. Well, and it's all just, like, minor things that you can't really fix. Like, you can't really do anything to stop it, because it's, like, we're trying to do what's best, and then shit, that happened. The message got erased. The phone call got disconnected. We swept up the glass trying to help them out and threw it away, Mm -hmm. and now they have no evidence. You know, like, oh, my gosh, that's... Ah, it's frustrating. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Levitt and Streeter were um, declared legally dead in 1997. However, their case files are still officially filed under missing. Okay. And Stacy McCall is still filed under missing as well. Uh, investigators actually received a tip that the women's bodies were buried in the foundation of the South Parking Garage at Cox Hospital. Uh, in 2007, a crime reporter um, and a mechanical engineer decided to scan a corner of the parking garage with the ground penetrating radar. Okay. And they found three anomalies roughly of the same size that were consistent with a gravesite location. Uh, two were parallel and the other was perpendicular to each other. However, the police spokesperson said that um, the person who reported the tip didn't really give any evidence or logical reasoning behind the theory at the time or mm-hmm. since then. And the parking garage began construction in September of 1993. So over a year after the disappearances. Right. Um, so they said digging up the area and subsequently re- reconstructing the structure would extreme be extremely costly. And without any reasonable belief that the bodies could be located there, it is illogical to do so. So they aren't, which makes sense because it means there's anomalies it doesn't mean there's bodies and since the timeline doesn't line up like perfectly like if they looked at it like they disappeared this day and Mm -hmm. within a month this was being constructed and there's you know this happening right and Um, then the other thing was is that the tip came from someone who claimed to be a psychic or claimed to have a dream or a vision about the case ah so that was all they had it wasn't like i know this guy and he said this it was i had a dream i had a dream there was an anomaly right so um in an unrelated incident on february in february of 2019 um, bart schreeder who was Susie's brother um was arrested on suspicion of public intoxication disorderly conduct and attempted false imprisonment uh, and he was charged with public intoxication and disorderly conduct and the attempted false imprisonment and was sentenced to six months probation. So he oh. was that, but they never had any proof or anything or any real reason or motive mm-hmm. that he be the reason for it, like dis- their disappearance. Right. Like he's a person of interest because of this, but not. 
Well, he was a person of interest before that, just because they had no evidence to go on. So I think anyone close to them was considered a person of interest. Fair. So then in 1997, Robert Craig Cox, uh, who was imprisoned in Texas as a convicted kidnapper and robber and the suspect of a Florida murder, told journalists that he knew the three women had been murdered and buried and claimed their bodies would never be recovered. Uh, In 1992, when the girls went missing, he had been living in Springfield, and when interviewed, he, as a suspect, because he was interviewed as a suspect at the time, Mm -hmm. he had told investigators that he was with his girlfriend at church the morning after the women disappeared, which she corroborated, but then later recanted, saying that Mm -hmm. Cox told her to say that. He also stated that he was at home with his parents the night of the disappearance, and they confirmed that alibi. They were uncertain if he was involved in the case or if he was seeking recognition for alleged murders by ensuing false statements, but um, he stated that after his mother died, he would tell journalists what happened to the three women. Okay. Is um, his mo- has his mother died? No. Oh. So, well, I don't know, but he hasn't said anything. Uh, so... <laughs> He, so Robert Cox had served time in Florida on death row for the murder of 19-year-old Sharon Zellers. Um, they later, the Supreme Court later overturned that conviction due to insufficient evidence tying him to the scene. He was arrested again in California for kidnapping that had occurred in 1985. After his release, um, he returned to Springfield, Missouri after serving time in connection to the kidnapping. So then he left Missouri and traveled to Texas. Um, and he was um, arrested in Texas and then sentenced in Texas for aggravated robbery. So while in Texas, he told a grand jury in 1994 that he had been with his girlfriend. We already went through all this. Um, and he told, he has been basically saying that they would never be found. He won't tell. And then he'll say he'll tell after his mother died. and. Um, just kind of waffling back and forth. Uh, He remains in prison and is not eligible for release until 2025. So he has a questionable past and is claiming that he knows what happened to them, but won't give him any details. Uh, So is that in yours or mine? It's me. Oh, I was like, what is, (laughs) where is that coming from? Hello? Hello? Um, as days turned into months, authorities, and then years, authorities continued investigating. Uh, for almost, so this is almost 30 years later. Um, friends and law enforcement are still, the cases are still considered open. They haven't closed them. They haven't um, done anything. Um, the case remains unsolved in spite of over 5,000 tips from the public. And to this day, they still get several leads a week, according to the Springfield Police Department. That's so weird. Whenever, yeah. whenever anybody just like vanishes, it's weird. It like, it, I just don't understand how smoothly one person could kidnap three people with no evidence left behind. Yeah. No, I don't. You know what I mean? Like that's, I don't get it. And it creeps me out. Yeah. Because it's, it's like freaking, I don't like it. Right. It's like how, I, what that's a thing like it just happens people literally just disappear normal people just never seen again yeah and the like 
I'm guessing what, well, like to me, what seems most logical is that someone, they broke the porch light so they couldn't see who was standing out there. And then someone heard the porch light break and was peering out the window. Mm-hmm. But. Well, I'm assuming it's somebody who came in with a gun, was able to coerce them because they had a gun at them at gunpoint and get them to leave the house without right too much struggle you know what i mean or no i feel like that's like basically the only explanation but it just seems targeted because if you're looking to kidnap someone or um why would you pick a house with three women in it well yeah it definitely was something they it must it had to have been something that was like an opportunity thing seeing them walking in just them into an empty house but their mom was home or something so there was still yeah it's just it just seems odd to me that you wouldn't it's three basically adult women yeah it's not i don't know either spur the moment where they didn't plan it very well or they planned it too well yeah and it was like planned to kidnap them specifically do you think it could have been like maybe this is me going off on a totally separate tangent, but um, like trafficking type of thing. Saw the two young girls go in, take them without, obviously they weren't hurt in the house because there was no blood, but that could maybe sell to 17, 18 year old girls for probably a lot. I guess I don't really know the going rate on the black market, but what have you not been keeping up? I have not. I've been not, you know, I like, I bought the stocks and then I just left them alone. No, I, but for real, like, I feel like those would do be two prime people. And then the mom is just like another person that's there that they, you know, you're there. We can't leave you because you'd be. prime would be younger. Yeah. But I mean. But no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. If they're out looking and it's graduation season, kind of watching where. Shooting fish in a barrel. (laughs) God terrible but i'm just saying like it'd be an opportunity for that sort of thing and i mean sex trafficking has been going on forever and a day it's just now getting a lot of media attention because people are it's getting brought to light right so i wouldn't be surprised if it was going on in the 90s slash yeah it was the 90s right yeah 92 okay cool hey go on i mean not well not cool we really need to figure out how to I don't, each other on stories without saying good one and cool. <laughs> well, it's it's a good story to bring attention to. There we go. Because that's there's got to be something. That's what we mean when we say, hey, cool. <laughs> right. I'm not like saying it's cool to murder and steal Kidnap humans. people. But... I think that, especially these ones that are, like, unsolved, I feel like it's a really good way to get people thinking about it again. Yeah. Because who knows who it's going to, like, trigger to be like, ooh, I'm kind of curious, and they get into it, and it could be that person that ends up figuring something out. I would love that. But. Oh, yeah? I don't know why I can't stop yawning. I'm not even that tired. Your brain needs oxygen. My brain needs oxygen. Yeah, it was gross. Um, but yeah. So I'm just gonna like hop right in. Uh it's 1985 in the spring. 
Sherry Faye Smith, who was 17 years old, lived with her parents right outside of Lexington, South Carolina. Okay. okay. She had two siblings named Dawn and Robert. Very uh, 80s names. Right? I know. Dawn. Dawn. Robert. And Sherry was the S-H-A-R-I. Oh, oh very 80s. Yes. <laughs> Um, so on May 31st, she went to a pool party with her boyfriend and a couple friends. Okay. After the party, Richard, her boyfriend, drove her to a parking lot at a shopping center because that's where she parked her car and then they rode together to the party. Okay. Um, so he dropped her off to get into her car, go home and Okay, anyway, sorry. I like got almost got ahead of myself. I was like, stop, regroup, look at your phone. <laughs> Don't just start telling stories. <laughs> so at about 3.25 that afternoon, uh, Sherry's mother saw her car parked at the end of the driveway, which they said wasn't odd because she would, when she'd come in in the afternoon, she'd park, go get the mail at the end of the driveway since they lived like in the country. And then drive into the house after that uh-huh. so, when she, so when she saw the car parked at the end of the driveway her mother announced like out loud to the dad so her mother's name is hilda and her dad's name oh why can't i think of it he doesn't they don't say him very much like talk about him much i mean he's there but not that important yeah well she refers to him in like different things later but she just says dad obviously sherry um so i'm trying to remember his name but oh, anyway she's still alive no um uh, <laughs> no she is not let me we'll get into oh, it okay. so her mother announces out loud to the father like oh sherry's home just says it out loud and then she just never came to the house so after like five-ish minutes the dad walked up the driveway to like see if there was something wrong like if her car wasn't working right or something was going weird right um, so he walked up the driveway when he arrived to the car, he said he instantly knew that something wasn't right. Oh no. Uh, the door was open. The engine was still running. There were footprints in the dirt walking across the street to get the mail, but none coming back. <gasps> yeah. Um, so they called the police like right away and they convinced them that Sherry ha- had to have been taken because she had too many like big things coming up. So she was singing the national anthem at her graduation. So my girl's graduating too, like a right around the time that, yeah, which is weird correlation with yours, um, right around the time that this all happens. So she was singing the national anthem at the graduation ceremony in two days. And then a couple days after that, she was supposed to be going on a cruise with her friends for like a graduation celebration. Oh, fun. So they were like, she wouldn't have just run away and not done all that stuff. She was way too excited for it. Right, she had things going on. Exactly. So she also uh, had what was called water diabetes. So basically she was on regular medication to keep her from like retaining water and then I it's it's a weird thing I tried to look it up I don't quite understand it but basically she was on a lot of medication and even like a day or two without her medication could be life-threatening for her so right so that was a big sign too because her purse was still in the car with her medication in it um and 
she also had left her shoes in the car because she had came home from the pool party and just ran across the street to get the mail so she wasn't wearing any shoes so her shoes her purse and her medication were all in the car still yeah and she was nowhere to be found not just didn't just wander away right so they searched the area right away but they like couldn't find anything they had nothing to really go off of at that moment um all they knew is that she got there and then she never got back into her car oh so don't like that right um there were no leads for leads for days but then at 2 23 a.m three days later the smith family got a phone call Mm. um it was a man and he talked about the bathing suit that sherry was wearing when she went missing um he the caller also said that he that they should expect a letter um between one and two the next afternoon so that's usually the time the mail arrives so they assumed that he just like postmarked it and sent it out mm-hmm. you know and they he knew it'd be getting there the next day well later that day i guess because it's two thirty. but so he said that they would know that the letter was from him because it would be dated june 1st which was the day after i believe she disappeared like that because it was the last day of may that she disappeared and it would be time stamped for 3 10 a.m oh okay so they're like that's okay weird but all right he also demanded that they'd call the sheriff and call off the search and then he'll get right on that dick yeah exactly and then he just hung up so he's like expect a letter it's gonna say this this and this call the sheriff and call off the search click uh so obviously they didn't call off the search right uh they traced the phone call to a payphone that was about 12 miles away from the smith's house so the police raced to this area but it was too late and there were no fingerprints or any other evidence found at that phone booth so we wiped it clean yeah or he wore gloves or yeah so there was nothing they could find at the phone booth well i would think if it was he must have wiped it clean because there would be other fingerprints on that phone right right so they then searched the mailbags after he said they should expect the mail so they went to the post office to find the mail ahead of the family actually getting it so that they Mm -hmm. could get anything before it was handled by too many people um, so they searched mailbags and found the envelope that was addressed to the Smiths. The note was written on yellow legal paper. It was handwritten, and it was dated June first at three ten a.m. So it was the right one. Um, and Sherry's family said that the handwriting was Sherry's. So. So she was alive on June first. Yes, the letter was titled last will and testament oh i don't like this and this is what the letter says oh you're a dick yeah well this is why i was like it ended up being a lot longer because i do have a lot of like quotes and things in here um i didn't want to play any of the recordings because i found them very disturbing so i'll tell you later but so it says i love you mommy daddy robert don and richard and everyone else and all the other friends and relatives i'll be with your i'll be with my father now as in god please please don't worry just remember my witty personality and the great special times that we all shared 
please don't even let this ruin your lives. Just keep living on day one day at a time for Jesus. Some good will come out of this. My thoughts will always be with you and in you. Casket closed. Like it says, casket closed. <gasps> I don't I don't know if this is her like enacting or saying know. she wants her closed casket for a funeral. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, Ooh. there's like, a, I think there's a book about this that is called Casket Closed. I have <sighs> never heard of this whole situation and I'm kind of baffled that, that gave I haven't. Me, that gave me the shivers, the shiver rivers. Like, I got the she, bumps. Right. And then she continues. I love you all so damn much. Sorry, dad. I had to cuss for once. Jesus forgave me. Richard, sweetie, I really did and always will love you, and I treasure our special moments. I ask one thing, one thing though, accept Jesus as your personal savior. My family has been a great influence on my life. I'm sorry about the cruise money. Somebody, please go in my place. I am sorry if I ever disappointed you in any way. I only wanted to make you proud because I have always been proud of my family. Mom, Dad, Robert, and Dawn, there's so much I want to say that I should have said before now. I love y'all. I know y'all love me and I will and will miss me very much. But if y'all stick together, she says y'all like five times right here. And uh -huh. it's it, I like stumble over it because I'm not used to saying it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, anyway, so I love y'all so much and I know y'all love me. I will miss you very much. But if y'all stick together like we always did, Y'all can do it. Please do not become hard or upset. Everything works out for everything works out for the good of those who love the Lord. Romans eight twenty eight. All my love always. Sharon F Smith. I love y'all with all my heart. P.S. Nana, I love you so much. I kind of always felt like your favorite. I know you were mine. I love you a lot. And that was it. Oh. oh. I feel like um, I've heard this before that letter. I know, before, but I can't figure out where. I, I know that this is when I this is the point when I texted you because I was like, I feel like I've heard this, but I want to make sure it's not coming from like something that you did before. But then I read like did the rest of it and I don't remember it, so I'm like, I feel like we're safe. I think it, either my favorite murder did this or um it was on like oxygen or something. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure I've heard, I mean, it's obviously a gut-wrenching thing, so I'm sure it's mm. been on something, but I, like, could not pin this name down at all. Anyway, <sighs> I know. It's, it's, I told you. I'm like, I can't. I don't like that. Anyway, anyway, so, obviously, this was very disturbing, and the investigators believed whoever made her do this had to have been a sadist between making her write the letter and sending it out to the family to taunt them. Right. Um, a couple of hours after the letter was found at the post office, um, it was 3.08 PM. There was another call. Um, the same man from the morning. He talked to Hilda, who was Sherry's mother. Um, a portion of the call said, so this man says, have you received the mail today? Hilda says, yes, I have. Do you believe me now? Well, I'm not sure I believe you because I haven't heard anything from Sherry and I need to know that Sherry is well. And the caller says, you'll know in two or three days. Why two or three days? Call the search off. 
and then he hung up. That was it. Uh, that was like his call the search off. Boom. Done. Um, it was traced to another payphone, and this one was only five miles away from the house. So, again, there were no prints, nothing there for them to follow, but they knew what payphone it was. So now they're just getting locations of where he's stopping off to call. Right. Um, which is helpful in a way because then it's like, you can kind of triangulate. Yeah. Um, but again, this was like 80s. So it was still the beginning of profiling and like getting their stuff down. So there's a big name, which um, later on I'll tell, but there's a big name and that will pop up and you'll know it mm-hmm. for all that. Uh, a little after this, a woman contacted the police. She was driving near the Smith's home right around the time that Sherry had been kidnapped. Okay. Um, she saw that Sherry's car was parked at the end of the driveway, which is why she knew that it was, it was around the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also saw a man driving the car, driving a car near the house. Um, she remembers this because when they were like driving opposite directions and he had like veered over into her lane because he was looking to the side of the road, like at Sherry and the car, oh. like looking, paying attention elsewhere, not in front of him. Um, so she remembers that just because like he almost hit her and she saw him in the rear view mirror pull over like start to pull over and then they were like out of sight so she's like i didn't see him stop oh. i didn't whatever but so i just turned around right so she gave a description of the man that she saw in the car and they like sketched it up so they had like a sketch to go with um no arrests were made off of this and there was still no shine sign of sherry so but they put it out in the public so people would be aware Then on June 4th, the Smiths received another phone call. So this is about four days after she had disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, Received another phone call, both Sherry's mother and her sister. So Dawn and Hilda were both on the um, line on different phones in the house. Landlines, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, okay. I want to tell you one thing. Sherry is now a part of me, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, Our souls are one now, said the caller. How gross is that? Ick. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. So this is where I was like, there are recordings of these calls, but like... Do you think he ate her? No. Well, I'm... Okay. I mean, that's what I first thought when I was reading it. Okay, so like, I'm not just weird. No, you're not just crazy. <laughs> but that was the first thing I thought. I was like, is this a cannibal case and I've never heard of it? Did he eat her? Um, so the caller was traced once again to a payphone and this one was eight miles away. So it's like the same thing over and over again. And then they don't have any clues. There's nothing around there. And they don't know what else to are do. Are they not watching the payphones near them? Oh, I'm sure they are. But the one was 12 miles away. Five miles away, eight miles away, different yeah, directions. Suppose. You know, it's not like all in this one like block area, you know? Yeah. Um, and back then they were everywhere. I mean, right. yeah. It, yeah. So, anyway, so then again, that night the phone rang at the Smith's house. <sighs> this is what the caller starts with. Okay, 4 58 a.m. No, I'm sorry. Hold on a minute. 
3.10 a.m. Saturday, the 1st of June, she handwrote what you received. 4.58 a.m. Saturday, the 1st of June. And then Don goes, okay, Saturday, the 1st of June at 4.58 a.m. Because he like trailed off. Um, and he says, became one soul. <gasps> and she goes, became one soul. And mom chimes in at this point and says, what does that even mean? And the caller says, no questions now. Please tell the sheriff, sheriff's Mets to call off the, or to search no more. Blessings are near. Hilda says, do not kill my daughter, please. I mean, please. And the caller says, I love and miss y'all. Get rest tonight. Goodbye. <gasps> Hilda says, wait a minute. And Don says, mom, he's gone. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, she's dead, huh? Right. I and I hate that he almost like mimics the way that she wrote in the oh, yeah. note where he's like, Love and miss y'all. Get some rest tonight. Bye. So he's like an opportunistic sadist. Oh killer. yeah. Like whatever yeah. he can do to try to like twist that knife. Okay. You ready? No. <laughs> so even with this, the family held out hope that maybe Sherry was still alive. And that he was just doing this to get under their skin. Um, then again the next day they received another call. Hilda answers, hello? Listen carefully. Take Highway 378 West to Traffic Circle. Take Prosperity Exit. Go one and a half miles. Turn right at sign. Mason Lodge number 103. Go a quarter of a mile. Turn left white framed building go to the backyard six feet beyond we're waiting god chose us and that was the end of that call and he hung up well that's terrifying also how am i supposed to keep up with all of those directions i know well and that's i mean that's literally how he said it though too but because they were like tracing all the calls and right. recording all of them they followed these directions i didn't even have a pen and paper how I, would you uh, i i can't write it down all i what got do you, was all I got was number three, 103. That's Something about all. a circle and a white building. I don't even know. <laughs> well, exactly. And that's like listening to the phone call. He just rambles it off like that where there's barely any like pauses to like even separate the, the different directions. But like, I don't know. It's weird. And so the police took this and they followed the directions and it led them to a Masonic Lodge mm. that was in the next county. It was about 16 miles away. Uh, the police went to this location, found Sherry's body. So she, like, it's, so she was dressed, okay? Um, some jewelry was missing. They're thinking it was, like, a trophy thing more than mm -hmm. anything else. Um, it was determined that she had been killed somewhere else and dumped there. Uh she had been dead for at least 48 hours they said meaning that most likely she was killed the morning after she had disappeared at 4 58 a.m mm -hmm. i was like this is not a visual platform i need you to give me a verbal confirmation mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah um sorry i lost my my thing because i started just talking outside of it <laughs> there was no determined cause of death um, because of the state of the remains, because it had been a couple days and there wasn't any like obvious bone fractures or skull fractures or anything. Uh, they assumed 
that she had either been like suffocated or possibly had died from not getting water or her medication oh um so that but they didn't know for sure because again there was no like obvious obvious indications of how she died exactly so the night the body was discovered the murderer called the house again uh this i know this this motherfucker this bitch uh so this time sherry's aunt answered the phone she was like i'll just come in because you guys don't need to deal with it right i was gonna say all these willy-nilly people keep answering the phone yeah so the aunt answers the phone and says and tries to talk to him and stall so that they could trace the call um the caller insists that he wants to talk to don or he's gonna hang up um so so don gets on the phone because they're trying to solve it you know don says hello the killer says this thing got out of hand and all I wanted to do was make love to Don. <gasps> I've been watching her for a couple of Don says like interrupts him and goes to who? And the killer says, Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Sherry. <gasps> Don, I hope you, it's like he wrote it out and then he starts talking and realizes that he says the wrong name and then goes back. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, like rewrite it or reread it. It's so weird. Um, or, he, or he was saying that he was coming for her next. No, well, I mean, that's what I think Don thought he meant, but I think he just genuinely slipped up on the names. Mm. Um, but I mean, li- later on, he basically says that. But um, so, a little foreshadowing. <laughs> uh, Don, Don, I hope you and your family forgive me for this. And Don says, um, when you killed Sherry, was she at peace? She wasn't afraid or anything. And the killer says, she was not. She was at peace. She knew that God was with her, and she knew she was going to become an angel. Ugh. And later on this call, he told Sherry, or told Don that he let Sherry choose how she wanted to die. Um, and she had chosen to be suffocated, so he wrapped her head in duct tape <gasps> to suffocate her. Dude, what the fuck, Amanda? I know, I'm sorry. Uh, Sherry was laid to rest on June... I'm sorry, that sounded really weird. Sherry was laid to rest, so they had her funeral on June 8th of 1985. And that afternoon, can you imagine what happened? Another phone call? Yes, ma'am. They got a collect phone call from someone calling themselves Sherry. These motherfuckers, he's making them pay for these phone calls now? What a fucking asshole. I guess. So, obviously, this was the killer. It wasn't anybody named Sherry. That He was just taunting him in another way. Mm-hmm. Um, he told Don that he was at the funeral, and he was curious what she thought of it. Oh, like, he's, he like, obsessed wanted... with Don now. Mm. Yeah. It kind of seems that way. Um, he also told her that Sherry died at 4.58 a.m. the morning after she was kidnapped. That's when their souls became one, like you said. Um, to become one sorry this is not a spice girls moment. i know but that, every time you say that that's what i think <laughs> so he also told don that sherry chose the time um because minutes before she was killed she had told him that god was ready to have her as one of his angels so i'm wondering if because he was like sexually assaulting her and stuff 
if she was just like ready to die and she or if she knew like, that her the medication and stuff and yeah she's like god god's ready for me you know um but uh, okay after that their phone was quiet for a while okay can you imagine the sheer terror of every single phone call like collect call or like fucking what is it when they call to sell you stuff right uh the telemarketer calls yeah from then on like just the ptsd comes with a phone call right the phone rings and it's like uh i don't know what i don't want to answer yeah but at the same time you have to because right uh i could not so it was quiet for a while um the investigators on the case reached out to the fbi at this point um they were like clearly we're not making any headway this guy's not quitting and whatever so they reached out to the fbi and the infamous john douglas okay yeah i'm like you'll know this name um created a 22 point profile on the case okay uh he believed that the killer was a white man in his late 20s or early 30s he was single most likely had been married at one point but was single now worked a blue collar job was very intelligent he even went as far as to say that he was guessing this man was an electrician. Um, like BDK because, style? Um, well, because he was using a, a device to basically make his voice sound electronic, <gasps> which... Oh, that's even creepier. Yeah, so it sounds like a normal voice, but it has like a... It just basically changes the tones so that the it's pitch, a little more yeah. monotone. Um, so the calls, it's like you can tell it's a human but it definitely has like a weird broken up sound to it. Um, But he said that's why he thought it was an electrician because nobody, not a lot of people that didn't have that sort of like education would know how to work one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, so it's called a variable frequency drive, apparently. I, um, but anyway, so the man was most likely from the area, which is why he was calling from all these pay phones and, all that stuff. Uh, he was asocial and compulsive. He most likely had a criminal background uh, in sex crimes or something to that effect. Okay. Uh, he also strongly believed that the killer would continue because he clearly was enjoying this a lot. So he thought that he would strike again. And so, okay. which Kidnapped was one of the him. scariest things that they said. Right. Because like, this is fucking terrifying. Right, because then you just you just don't know. Like it's just gonna keep going. So, unfortunately, on June fourteenth of nineteen eighty five, only two weeks after uh, Sherry was killed, nine year old Deborah May Helmick. Nine. Nine. Oh, poor baby. Uh, she was playing outside with her brother at their house in Richland County, South Carolina. Uh, they lived in a trailer park about 25 miles away from the Smiths. Uh, they were playing and all of a sudden a man in a gray car with red racing stripes jumped out of his car and straight up picked Deborah up around the waist and brought her into his car, like <gasps> picked her up, put her in his car and drove away in front of her brother. Oh God, that's terrifying. Yeah, like, I can't imagine. So, obviously, they called the police because the brother ran in and was like, ah, you know, like, Somebody just out. stole. Yeah. Deborah. Right, like, so I, oh, I can't even imagine. Um, 
so they called the police and they did a land and air search like as soon as they got the call but it seemed like the car had just vanished which also alluded to him living close because he could have just parked into a garage or whatever yeah it had to be yeah so i it's i just can't even imagine so they right away they the police believe that it was linked to sherry's murder um just because that like not a lot of stuff happened around there like that and so Mm -hmm. the fact that it's like instantly happening was uh disturbing and john douglas also thought that it seemed that the killer or also agreed with them so he actually now wasn't just making a profile for them he actually flew out to south carolina now okay um to help firsthand so douglas believed that the killer now had a weird obsession with dawn like you said Mm -hmm. and so they assumed that after this happened the smiths most likely would be getting another call um did they so he well he coached dawn in case it was to happen he like told her to be empathetic as much as you can be try to like seem understanding you know this is kind of how to get information out of this guy and only 17 minutes like 17 minutes after midnight that same day after she had gotten coached so it was Mm -hmm. like that same night they on june 22nd the phone rang and dawn answered it was another collect call from sherry faye smith (gasps) yeah but obviously it wasn't she's sherry uh so this is what he said you know god wants wants you to join sherry faye it's just a matter of time next month this is what i like i said later on he basically alludes to that to dawn so basically this happened and then he calls and tells dawn like i'm gonna take you next uh he continued talking about deborah may after that he said have you heard about deborah may helmick Don goes, uh, no. The killer says, the 10-year-old, Helmick, H-E-L-M-I-C-K. Uh, Richland County? The killer says, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. That's what Deb, or, or what uh, Don says to him. And he goes, yeah, okay, now listen carefully. And then he gives these directions again, the, like, <gasps> rambling, rattle-off directions. He ends it with, go 10 <laughs> so he's like at the end he's like go 10 yards deborah may be, may is waiting god forgive us all that's how he ends the whole thing like he tells this whole long jargon of the like list of directions and it's like a run-on sentence mm-hmm. again um so god forgive us all the police went to the location and they discovered the badly decomposed body of deborah may because this had been almost a week now since she had gone had gotten like scooped up because it was a 22nd um i can't i can't uh so decomposed that a full autopsy couldn't even be performed the best guess was that she was also suffocated because there was no obvious damage to her bones or structure the Uh, change in victimology is so weird kind of i mean 17 and 9 it's a different thing but like 
it's still like young girls and they both were like blonde and just I mean they're kind of a sim similar look like I would say Deborah May almost looks like a younger Sherry if that makes sense so I don't know if it's just opportunistic because she's smaller easier to grab and yeah um whatnot but so during all this sherry's letter was being examined by a forensic document examiner she used a technique to show what was written on the paper before the letter you know the like indentation oh shit oh shit i'm wondering if this was on like a forensic files or something because this seems like a chunk of stuff that would be on a forensic files um when they talk about this letter because this is basically the way that they found this guy but that's what i'm wondering if that's where i've heard it too in our subconscious when we're trying to sleep so mm -hmm. it's like <laughs> we turned it exactly. on okay hold exactly. on pause let me get all velcroed back into my boot scrap scrap real loud It is really funny, though, because, like, this ended up being, like, almost eight pages, and you know how short mine usually are. Yeah. And it didn't even feel like it was eight pages worth of, like, reading. How many pages and, are we in? Um, I don't know, because I'm on my phone. Um, I was like, it doesn't feel like that long. We're almost to the point of catching we, it. I was gonna say, we are, like, getting to that end part, too, right. so it's, like, probably another... 10 maybe 15 minutes worth of chatting okay but that's ready for you tiger that's it all right <laughs> so this was showing all the indentations right what appeared on this was a grocery list a list of bills to pay along with a phone number that was titled joe it had an alabama area code but only three of the four numbers in the end of it, right? Okay. So right away, the police started calling every combination that they could of these numbers, you know? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't too long that they found someone named Joe with this number. So this guy ended up being Sh Joe Shepard from Huntsville. Um, he, it, obviously Alabama, since it was an Alabama area code. Let, let me just make that clear. So from Huntsville. So they asked if he knew anybody from the Lexington area, right? They're like, oh, do you know anyone? And in fact, his parents lived in Lexington, only 15 miles away from the Smiths. Uh, oh. And his father was an electrician. Oh. Uh, but... They were gone on a six-week vacation at that time. Joe. Um, yeah. So the father, Ellis, so Joe's father is named Ellis, listened to a few of the recordings of the male voice, and he knew who that was. It was Joe. No, it wasn't Joe. Oh. It wasn't Joe. Joe was like, uh, well, my parents live there. And then Ellis is like, okay, well, we were gone, so let me hear the recordings. Maybe I know the voice. <gasps> and uh it was one of his employees so he was also an electrician oh he just because ellis owned his electrical business he was mm -hmm. one of the people that he hired so his name is larry gene bell age 36 yeah 
he wired for Ellis. So he did like the easy mm-hmm. stuff, you know, whatever. Um, he was actually the one who was house sitting for the couple while they were out <gasps> of town. Yeah. So he yeah, kept yeah. the girls in their house. Oh, oh no. Uh-huh. Hence Joe's number being written down with instructions and lists of different things that needed to be gotten or be paid while they were gone. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, but don't worry. He still had all those lists so they could match it up with the letter to show that it is literally that thing. So it was a perfect match. So they're like, obviously it came from this legal pad that was in this house that he was house sitting. Mm -hmm. Um, With this, the police officers searched the entire shepherd's home, right? Now that they had this like major link. Right. And they found six blonde hairs that were very similar to Sherry's, like, in length and because she had, like, bleach blonde hair. So they were platinum. Mm-hmm. Um, they also found a that the stamp that was on the letter was from a – this is – I thought this was kind of cool. So the stamp that was on the letter was from a commemorative duck stamp book that they had, which had a different duck on each stamp in this oh. book. And so the one that was missing what was, the the duck? One, <laughs> was the one that was on the fucking letter. Like, okay, guy, come on. Stupid. Uh, so that was another link to the shepherd's house. And they weren't even there when any of this happened. So obviously it'd be someone who was in there. Um, what the police believe is that Sherry was held at gunpoint and forced into his car. Ellis owned a revolver, but when they went to the house to, like, check his gun case, it was missing because he hadn't used it since they got back. Um, So it was missing. Uh, Anyway, so after they found that, they did find the gun underneath the guest bed that Belle was sleeping in while he was watching the house. So it was, like, tucked in between the mattress and the box spring. Ew. Uh, And they looked into Belle... And here is what they found. Oh, good. <laughs> Strap in, kids. Uh, so, born in Rolfe, Alabama, on, in 1948, or 1949, excuse me, I just said the totally wrong number. It says 49. Uh, so, born in 1949, Larry Jean Bell went to college and trained as an electrician. He was divorced with one son. In 1975, He had been arrested for trying to kidnap a young woman at knife point in a shopping center in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, He was fined $1,000 and given five months probation for this, you know. Oh, yeah, because that's cool. Deter anything. Um, A few months later, he he had told a woman that he was armed, lifted his shirt, and showed her a gun that was strapped to his waist. Um. he attempted to lead her to his car, but she was able to run away. Uh, he was arrested for this, and in June of 76, he was sentenced to five years in prison, but was paroled after only two, because this is how it always goes. In 1979, he made a series of inappropriate calls to a 10-year-old girl. When you were talking about inappropriate calls, it made me laugh, because it's another random thing that's the Ew. same. Um so this girl obviously told her parents and um they approached the authorities they figured out who it was he was given two years suspended sentence which 
I, I don't know what why that even means. bother sentencing them. Yeah. Um, and five years of probation for that. So pretty much everything that John Douglas said was right, like right on the money. Right. Uh, they may, they knew that this was the right guy. So on June 27th of 1985, Bell was arrested. He was charged with two counts of kidnapping and two counts of first degree murder. He denied everything, of course. Um, Don and Hilda agreed to meet with Bell, hoping to maybe elicit some sort of confession out of him. Um, since he had this weird, like, word vomit thing to Don. Um, but when they met with Bell, he said, a per- the person sitting in this chair couldn't have killed Sherry. Uh, but another Larry Bell could have. So I don't know if he's trying to allude to, like, multiple personalities or stupid something. But that's the closest he got to a confession, either way. Um, even without... A confession the police thought that they knew what happened the day that sherry was kidnapped um the day sherry was kidnapped she had gone to the pool party remember mm-hmm. she left her car in that parking lot at the shopping center when she was dropped off at her car bell spotted her after dropping his mother off at an appointment just down the road so like there's a timeline there and decided to follow her home mm-hmm when she parked at the end of the driveway i think he saw his chance like it was more of like the thrill of following her and her not knowing right and then as soon as she stopped he was like okay let's do it um he pulled up behind her and aimed his ellis's gun at him or at her excuse me and took sherry to the shepherd's home like got her into the car took her to the shepherd's home which was really close to their house right yeah, it's like 15 miles, so it's like a Can you imagine drive. being her parents knowing she was that close? Nope. Oh, God, that's awful. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Um, so once they got there, the belief, the belief is that he tied her to the bed and sexually assaulted her. Um, then he made her write her last will and testament note. I don't like And then this. right around 4.58, he killed her by suffocating her with the duct tape uh, he went to trial for sherry's murder in february of 1986 so this all okay. went like super fast compared to like what i've seen because it hasn't even been a year since her abduction and murder right and he's already on trial for everything and they gathered all this stuff within like six months well that's good i know it's kind of wild so well, it must have been a it's kind of an open shut case so well it is once they find him and they know what's going on it's like right. all the pieces just kind of fell into place um so he went to trial and the jury deliberated for only 55 minutes and came back guilty for first degree murder and kidnapping and he was sentenced to death good then about a year later he went to trial for deborah's murder and kidnap And this one lasted about two weeks. And after just over an hour, the jury came back with guilty on both as well. And he received another death sentence. Good. Um, I I think it's clear that he most likely killed more people. Like, I think that's just, you don't just go straight to taunting the family like that. Um, In my mind, I feel like that's a buildup. So he is strongly suspected of a couple other like murders or disappearances i guess technically they're disappearances 
Um, in July of 1975, a 21-year-old Denise Newsom Porch. I looked up her name a couple times, and that's what it is. I was like, Newsom. I've never heard mm-hmm. that. But Newsom Porch from Charlotte, North Carolina. She was a manager of an apartment building where she lived with her husband. That July, her husband came home to find her missing. She wasn't there, but she had left a note saying that she was showing uh, the apartment building to a possible renter, and she was just never seen again. Um, She was declared dead in 1982. When she went missing, Belle actually only lived about in an apartment building like 300 yards away from that apartment building. Oh. So, like, next door neighbors. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. then in November of 1984, which was right before all these other ones, because this was 10 years, this one of the apartment manager girl, that was like 10 years before it. This is like a year before mm-hmm. the other two murders. Um, November 1984, Sandy Elaine Cornette, who was 26 years old, went missing from Charlotte. She was one of uh, Bell's co-workers' girlfriends. So he, like, knew her in that sense, like, had seen her and talked to her. Um, so he was actually questioned in this case. And he hinted that he knew, because he has, like, the background that he does, mm-hmm. um, he's kind of, if he's connected at all, he's pretty much a suspect in some sort. Right. Um, in some way. But he alluded that he knew where the remains were and he even like drew a crude map for them to find it um but neither of the women's remains were ever found and so they don't know if this was just a ploy for attention or if he actually did know where it was but there was no connection other than him being friends with her boyfriend and but it does run in like parallel to them giving directions to find the body and stuff so Mm -hmm. maybe he just wasn't good at drawing maps Right. Well, and that's where they're just like, but they couldn't, like, they didn't have enough to actually arrest him for it. So that one's still considered, like, unsolved. I think it's clear that he probably did both because of his connection and the way that they kind of happened where it was an opportunistic type of thing. Um, But so on October 4th of 1996, Larry Jean Bell was executed at the age of 47 he chose the electric chair. Fuck yeah. Rather than lethal injection, which was the for like ride that motherfucker. Uh for real. He like I was it was one of those things that I just kept reading. I'm like, oh my god. Oh my like, gosh. Just the just the uh the turmoil that you put the family through mm-hmm. along with killing a family member, but you like torture them for weeks and I just fuck you, man. Burn. Well, and and then calling right and then calling dawn after kidnapping yeah yeah the nine-year-old and being like hey and here's the directions because you know that's just what anybody needs after their siblings also were just murdered and right i just i don't know it was one of those things that i'm like how have i not like how do i not just know this name why do i not know about this case because I've definitely heard parts of it. That's why I'm like, I wonder if it was like part of I've a- I've definitely heard that letter before. Yeah. But I don't that, know where. That's exactly where I was like, 
okay, I need to text her, just make sure. Cause I was like reading it. I'm like, this sounds way too familiar to not be something I've heard somewhere. But, and that's why we drink. No, they, I mean, it may have been. Maybe it was that. It may have been. That's why I'm like, I wonder if it's, if it was a forensic file because they would tell about that letter so that they could tell about the like mm-hmm. document forensic stuff afterwards. Um, because since they make it kind of a snippet of each case, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, man. Either way, I knew it, but I didn't know it. And how do I not just, like, know his name because it was so muffed up? Yeah, I don't know, dude. But, yeah, that was that was, that was my a, six was, hours of last night well that a, spent. That was a good, good tale that you told. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'm just glad that there was uh, some form of, form of justification. I wish he would have been... I'm glad that motherfucker fried. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish he would have been tried for the ones that I'm pretty sure he, and probably more, let's be honest, if not even just like kidnapping and sexual assaults that happened through that area, because again, there's always that like ramp up to the super sadistic stuff. Um, But I don't know, man. I just, I'm glad that there was a solution to it resolution too oh no no good jobs thank you well thank you friend should we wrap this bitch up oh i suppose i suppose um i don't know if i have any new funny ones i don't know if i've heard from any creepers lately everybody's starting to be able to like go back to work so stop sending me weird inappropriate messages maybe Maybe. That's, I mean, that's the best way to guess. Eh, maybe they'll stop being pervs. <laughs> maybe. Oh, uh, no. Okay. Well, I've gotten quite a few of these where it's, you pretty, HRU, so how are you? And then I don't respond. And then I just get, HRU. And then about an hour later, HRU. And then about an hour later, HRU. Hey, buddy, I'm not responding because you're not talking to me in my language. I don't know. Then some guy just sent me deliciousness. I. Hey, thanks. <laughs> I I don't. Deliciousness. I got mm gorgeous eyes, mommy. Hope you're crushing quarantine. Don't call me mommy. That's like when I hear people call people daddy that are not their dads. It makes me uncomfortable. No. Um. Um. Let's see. (laughs) I also don't like it when they send me like a rambling long ass message that tells me everything about them. Well, uh, as like an introduction. Introduction? Yeah. I got one. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, it's Friday. Time's going by fast. We miss spring for sure. How are you? Hope this finds you well. Just checking on your profile and I like what I see. I figured I should take a chance. Here's me taking a chance messaging you. Will you? Sorry, were you talking to me? No. Would you like to? I mean, I'd like to. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> and it just keeps going on and on. And was this all in one message? Yes! <laughs> I was like, I could, 
I could almost find the humor in that if it was like separate messages, like they were talking to themselves on there and it's oh. like all within like a f- minute or two where it's, it's like. It's a run on sentence with very little punctuation. Run on paragraph. Oh my gosh. What is got, happening to humanity? And then I got, hey, beautiful. This is my last massage. And I think you should text me on my cell phone. <laughs> massage? That's how, that's M-A-S-S-A-G-E. I was like, no, I don't think I should. Well, I guess I won't massage you back. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got, how far is you? From what? (laughs) How far is you? I'm assuming Uh... he meant, how far away are you? But I didn't respond, because that's not English. Um, How far is you? I don't understand your question. (laughs) From what? <laughs> oh boy, that's, that's all I got. So nothing that's, that's too crazy, but they're still. It's starting to, it's starting to mellow out now that people have like real human contact, <laughs> <laughs> and aren't just stuck with their own brain. Oh God. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Follow us on all the things with the stuff. Mm-hmm. at isw the podcast yes um and even though no one does send us an email at isw the podcast at gmail.com um that's i mean that's it spread the word spread yourselves my hip flexors hurt i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i mean goodbye <laughs> i mean goodbye don't spread yourself that much <laughs> <laughs>